Thank you. Thank you. This is This Immerse, is the podcast in book. book. We are delighted, are delighted to, have to, have to have you join us. Immerse is produced, is produced by, by Charlie Morrow, Sean McCann, McCann, and Bart Plantinga for Morrow Sound, Vermont, and Helsinki, and Recital Edition, Los Angeles. Immerse. Here we go. Here we go. Okay, so this is Charlie Morrow for Immerse. The Immerse podcast gives me the rare opportunity of visiting with and sharing long-time relationships. I think many of you out there are engaged in making and experiencing. Our guest today is just such a person, the architect fly fisherman, Tim Ventimiglia. We met through experienced design projects where Tim was project leader. His unique and inspiring way of working with people especially enhanced our work on the Smithsonian Institution's Arctic Study Center in Anchorage, Alaska. We created soundscapes that dramatized in 3D immersive sound stories from archival interviews with members of the Alaskan indigenous population. Listeners in the center's sound gallery can gaze over a design tree garden and the roofs of Anchorage to see where clouds typically are caught and stretched on the tall peaks of small islands. Tim is a museum designer who transforms the static notion of a museum into something dynamic and engaging. He has worked for Ralph Applebaum Associates for over 28 years. RAA is an award-winning international interpretive planning and exhibition design firm, and Tim is director of RAA's Berlin-based studio. He has directed the interpretive planning and exhibition design for many major institutions, including the Natural History Museum of Utah in Salt Lake City, the Visitor Center for Grand Teton National Park in Jackson Hole, Wyoming, the Smithsonian's Arctic Study Center in Alaska, the First Nations Museum in Oklahoma, the Museums of Ethnology and Asian Art in Humboldt Forum in Berlin, the World Museum Vienna in Austria, and is currently leading the design of the new Museum of the Viking Age in Oslo, Norway. He also directed the Museum Design Lab, a graduate seminar on museums for the Parsons School of Design at the Cooper Hewitt National Design Museum in New York City. Tim, welcome to Immerse. Hello. Hey, uh, that's there. Yeah, I'm here. There you are. Hey. I'm delighted to chat with you first. We haven't chatted for a while. It's true. True. I wanted to talk to you because I'm working on a book called Immerse. And uh, I thought our own relationship has been really important because you've collaborated with me and given me the opportunity to do the immersive sound piece of our business and grow that but also you have yourself a very strong design sensibility which has been an important part of my growth uh, so i've learned a lot from you and the way you view things and i wanted to, if you could talk a little bit about how you design experiences uh, knowing that people you know you create a whole envelope for people to enter that's the part of your work that interests me and then going back through your timeline how you got there you know <laughs> Is, well, is part uh, that, two. That's a lot. That's a lot of story to tell. But um, yeah, I'd be happy to 
reflect on on some of those topics you know I studied architecture and for me actually I studied urban design which um, you know is sort of even a bigger scale than architecture but then education was very very um, multifaceted let's say and we weren't really specializing as our architectural students but I did come out with a degree in urban design so it's sort of interesting that I found this path into this very special world of exhibition design coming out of that perspective but I think it's really the experiences in urban space that fascinated me as as design space you know I have a, a kind of a dual interest I'm fascinated with undesigned space let's say natural space big open landscapes and I spend a lot of time uh, every year searching for those and uh, but I you know I'm primarily busy with design space and I've lived in different cities and I think that uh, a museum is a design space or an, an exhibition let's say even narrowing it down further is a design space where there are many many different disciplines involved but they all have a goal of communicating something and that's what really fascinated me was the idea of communicating through design uh, communicating very specific ideas but also communicating a feeling or a or a, an emotion and how museums have really changed from places of you know putting things out on display to places of storytelling and we, I sort of followed that process in my 30 years I would say of creative uh, work and that transformation is still going on so it's a very exciting place to work how museums uh, engage with their public how do people uh, experience heritage how do they experience other cultures how do they experience things they're curious about but you know in a museum is a place of curiosity a place of wonder and it's all those things really that stir stir me they get me out of bed every day and make me want to you know pursue my my creative enterprise so I'm not sure how if I'm answering your question but these are the foundational thoughts I would say you know I started uh, a very modest way as an architect uh, working in Vienna as a kind of um, uh, for an architect Elsa Prohaska and she had won the commissions for transforming former apartments of composers in Vienna who had uh, been given apartments as part of their commission and to turn these into visitable attractions Musiker uh, Gedenkstätten they called them sort of musicians memorials or musicians uh, monuments and this was a very modest assignment, but I had five of them all at once. Beethoven, Mozart, Schubert, Haydn, and these were really just modest apartments for the most part, which had to be restored to some degree. Um, they were owned by different uh, you know, private owners, but the state had collected them all, re reacquired ownership, and they had to be restored. And then the question was, how do, how do we tell a story of who lived here and so these were places and and how did they live and these were places not about explaining music but they were certainly spaces that were filled with music at one point because they were the homes of composers who played music and composed and so we came up with uh, a strategy for creating a set of sort of interactive furniture pieces I would say we didn't want to fill the rooms with uh, historic pieces that weren't authentic 
as many historic homes do, we, we kind of left them rather sparse. And if there was a piano or uh, another instrument that had belonged to the composer, we'd certainly exhibit that. Uh, but otherwise, we did kind of create furniture, and we created these uh, consoles and uh, tables and, and cabinets that visitors could open and discover artifacts, uh, original manuscripts, quills, and uh, other writing instruments uh, where the music was written. These are the few objects that the state had. But furthermore, we needed to create, obviously, the expectation would be to somehow experience music and so we created a kind of atmosphere of music using a set of infrared kind of uh, uh, headphones that would pick up an infrared signal this was very very high tech back in the early 90s to do something like that visitor could walk around and discover things open drawers all the while listening to a concerto or an another piece of music um, that had been composed in that space. And so it was really in a, a moment for me where I realized that architecture and design could really transport you into an atmosphere, into another time and space, into a, a kind of mood. And it needed all these different disciplines, as I said. It needed, you know, architecture, interior design, industrial design, you know, making furniture that you can interact with, lighting, graphics, and media with the sound. And so that's what I was doing, really not without a plan. I just sort of stumbled into that. And at the same time, I remember at a much larger scale, discovering a project at a much larger scale, the Holocaust Museum in Washington had opened. And I visited that and I was just completely blown away. And I wondered immediately, who did all of this? I've never seen anything like it. It's a building, a whole new building built on the mall, almost on the mall, very prominent site. So it's sort of symbolically as a high priority position relative to museums in Washington, close to the politicians, a very big statement. But inside was this story that was told in, you know, three, three stages and re literally wove itself through the building and the building sort of helped tell the story. They worked hand in hand, the exhibit experience and the, and the architecture. And that's what I had never seen before, where all these disciplines and the architecture of the building was purpose created to tell a story. And later I learned even the collection was sort of purpose collected to you know, give evidence to the story, that, that, that there wasn't even a collection at the beginning of the project. And that just really blew me away. And I had to know who, who did all of this. And was it the architect, you know, Pei Cobb Freed? It was uh, Jim Freed worked on this project and couldn't find anything about him and exhib exhibitions. Uh, then I learned about Applebaum. And that's where my journey with Ralph Applebaum started. And I actually left Vienna to come to New York and to work with him. And I've been there for 25 years since that, that moment of uh, stepping into his world. And it's really like really unique place to be creatively but also business-wise because you have an ever-evolving kind of palette of clients and stories and, and people that you meet places you go um, it's kind of like staying in school forever in one sense it's a constant process of discovery and uh, that's what's kept me there and now I'm somehow back in Europe 
after many, many years in New York, from New York working all over the world, you know, from Taiwan to Alaska to South America, Europe, of course, and I'm back here running the Berlin office of Ralph Applebaum Associates. That's my journey in a nutshell. How was that? Oh, that's wonderful. I, I've learned a lot, and I've known you for years, and I'm happy that you're sharing this with me. And I'm just curious, um, having heard this story, what were the roots of this? I mean, when were you, let's say, starting from when you were a kid, how did you wind up in Vienna? How would you walk your timeline? Uh, how did I end up in Vienna originally? I guess it would have to be, I would have to credit some fellows I met at university Cornell University, where I studied architecture, there were three Austrians there uh, as graduate students, and they were my teaching assistants um, at different phases. So the graduate students of architecture at Cornell teach the undergraduates, at least for the first year, or for drawing classes and, and special topics. And so there's a strong sort of teaching tradition at Cornell as part of the master's program. And these guys were really exciting. They had kind of wild ideas. Um, some people think of Austria as a kind of a backward-looking, very conservative, you know, Baroque Catholic place. But uh, in fact, it has a long history of avant-garde in the creative industries and in architecture, music, uh, fashion. So these guys were all sort of coming out of that with uh, radical ideas. And, and they pulled me to Europe after, um, I mean, not literally, they didn't, I didn't even work with any of them, but they sort of described a place that I wanted to be after leaving Cornell with my master's degree. And so I moved to Vienna. You know, a lot of people do that after college, they go on a journey somewhere. And I, I went to Vienna and from Vienna, it was at the same time also an exciting place to be because all of Eastern Europe was opening up. You know, and I'm a, I'm a kind of adventurer. I like to go places I've never been. So I spent my entire time, whenever I had free time in Vienna, going to visit Eastern European countries, just as the Iron Curtain had come down. And uh, that was terrific, you know, uh, experience for me. And so, yeah, I was working there for a couple of years, uh, doing competitions, doing different sort of jobs uh, until I ended up working in, a, in an office for an architect. And that's the story I just told, working with Elsa Prohaska on the uh, musicians' homes. So that's the journey to, to Europe at stage one, let's say. And it's interesting, at that time, I also, the end of that time, when I knew I was coming back to New York, I made a stop in Berlin to do some teaching. I was teaching assistant or assistant professor for Cornell, my alma mater, and Cornell does summer programs all over the world that are organized by individual professors. And this one professor of mine organized a summer program in Rome. In um, Sorry, there is a program in Rome, but he organized a program in Berlin, and so invited me to come and help him. So I spent a summer here, and it was the summer in which they had put up a kind of mock-up of the Berlin Palace next to the Palace of the People, Palace de Republic, which was the East German Congress Hall uh, on the Museum Island. And so there was already this discussion of building a, a castle back, the, the um, Prussian imperial castle that was standing there and taken down by the East Germans. And I was sitting on the steps of the Altus Museum by Friedrich Schinkel, 
great Prussian architect and with my professor from the you know the past who had already previously brought me to Berlin back in the 80s and I said you know I'd really like to work uh, on museums I'd like to focus on museums you're you're bringing me here to show me you know these uh, museums on the museum island and all the other museums we visited it really inspired me and he said well that's a very very particular niche and you would be lucky as an architect to to even do one museum I said well let's see about that um, and so little did I know that in my future I would be back in Berlin working on a museum project in that palace which is in fact been reconstructed at this point and yeah it came down to sort of that moment uh, sitting on the steps of the Altus Museum with my my professor and that decision to really focus on work with museums uh, providing design in the context of a museum experience that's marvelous uh, there was one part of your story which uh, i'd love to hear more about which is your love of outdoor spaces uh, it fits into this discussion of immerse because when you're outdoors little person, big nature and all that. So would you talk a little bit about your own, uh, you know, experience in nature? Yeah, well, I spend most of my time working in urban spaces and civic space, public space, what I also call design space. I have a constant yearning for undesigned space, natural space. And I think because I grew up uh, in the country, side uh, I have a kind of tension in myself I you know I need the urban but I I love uh, my heart is in is in the natural world and and for me it's almost um, over the years sort of developed into a kind of a spiritual uh, need it's like a religion I, I guess the need to be in vast open space or wilds wild space uh, where humans are are less significant I would say that's as a kind of a humbling aspect that I yearn for in going to these places. And I did grow up uh, going to Montana every year because my family has a uh, place in Montana, which is really a summer, like a summer camp in the mountains. And it's uh, for those who like uh, chasing trout, it's a paradise. It's on the Madison River in Montana. And, so I grew up trout fishing, fly fishing in, uh, in Montana. And for me, that is a quintessential immersive experience because in a way it's not so much about the fish, but the fish is the center, is the focal point of a larger environment that you immerse yourself in. And if you're gonna be a successful trout fisherman, you have to be attune yourself to everything that's going on in that environment, not in a really scientific way although you could approach it that way but you have to you have to understand when the trout is feeding and then you have to be there at that exact moment and have what it wants and of course trick it into taking your your fly uh as opposed to a real insect and all of that is relying on your your understanding of of the, of the environment that you're in and it has to do with temperature and weather and it has to do with with wind and landscape and of course water um, and uh, and insects and fish and and while you're there you're seeing other things uh, fly by you know eagles and, and, 
and uh, herons, and you're uh, maybe encountering uh, larger animals. And so you're in this sort of world in a very, very committed way uh, with a goal, but you're just immersed. And that feeling of immersion, I don't have to be fishing. I also do a lot of hiking into wild places. I've uh, been all over uh, the U.S., up and down, all through Alaska. And uh, a search for those sort of wild places and that immersion that they provide and they, you know, they wake up senses in in me that perhaps go to sleep uh, or less uh, less addressed in the urban space. And it's yeah, a humbling experience also, which I yearn for. What's funny is uh, when I moved to Europe, I had a kind of crisis uh, the first summer. I realized I wasn't going to make a big long trip out west as I usually did uh, when I was living in the U.S. So instead, we went up to Norway. We decided to spend our summer holiday in the far north of Nor- Norway, Lofoten Islands, and looking at glaciers and following rivers and spending time in the in the sea. And I realized it's because I'm, I, I need that at least once a year for, for a few weeks. And so I found Europe's version of Montana, I think, with, up in Norway. Uh, it's a spectacular place to, to be. Well, thank you for sharing these wonderful stories. I appreciate the chance to talk to you about the whole subject because I think that your view on it seems to be very organic from your own personal life to the creative work that you do, which seems to be a very good fit. So thank you very much for sharing that with me. And Okay, great. Thank you, Charlie, for inviting me into your project. Talk to you again soon. Bye-bye. Okay. All the best at home. Okay, take care. This is Immerse, the podcast and book. Composer, sound artist Charlie Morrow explores immersion in public events, broadcasts, music, installations, and environmental systems. Immerse compares timelines in conversations with more than 40 collaborators. Immerse. 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 Thank you.